All right. Hey, this is Pete Bauer. Welcome to my podcast. And today I'm very happy to have Lynn Hansen with me. Lynn, I have known for probably 10 years. I'm going to say at least you and I worked together. 15. 15 started years. in 98. So you and I worked together. You were doing technical writing, I think. Yeah. And here we are 15 years later talking about books and everything else you're doing. So you have done a lot of different things in the whole writing realm. So kind of go through a list of all the things that you've done. I started out being a, thinking I was going to be an adult horror writer. I ended up being a young adult horror writer. I worked as a freelance editor for a small press publishing company and became senior editor there for six years. I've done marketing and promotion, graphic design, book covers, formatting. Yeah, lots of stuff. So you've pretty much been involved in the beginning, from the beginning literally through to the end of the process. Yes. That's pretty amazing. I mean, there's not a lot of people, honestly, that can say that they have have the skill to be able to succeed at all the different levels. For me, one of the things that is, I have great curiosity. So when I'm interested in something, I like to learn as much as I possibly can about it. And so a lot of the opportunities that I've had to kind of explore all the different facets of publishing come from not only just being curious about how things work, but being willing to kind of apply myself and figure out how I can do those things. So then how did you get it started in this in the first place? Like, what was your inspiration to start down uh, the path of being a writer of adult horror? When I was in high school, I was a really good student. Um, I graduated second in a class out of 450 kids, but I couldn't figure out what it was that would allow me, and I was equally interested in lots of different things, except for math. (laughs) So trying to find something that would kind of allow me to incorporate all the different things that I was interested in. It was the summer after my senior year in high school, and I remember laying on the bed with, with my, my best friend, Ellen, and saying, what am I going to do with my life? And I realized that the thing that would allow me to incorporate everything that I had interest in and that I could continue to have interest in was writing, because there could not be a, a cooler job than to be able to say, this is what I want to learn about, and you learn about it, and then you get to write a book. So that's how I became an author, but it's also how I became really a, how I learned web design, how I learned marketing, how I learned graphic design, all of those things. It was like, this is interesting. Let me see how I can figure out how that plays for me. I'm very much the same way, actually. I love learning things. So if there's something that, that needs to be done, I'm going to see if I can do it first. Just yeah. It's just the nature. of, And so then I do everything I can to learn everything about it and try to figure out, wow, I'll never be able to do that. Or maybe this is something I can pull off kind of thing. So what were your first uh, books? What were, what were your first experiences as a writer? I wrote two and a half really awful trunk novels. Uh, books What's that a will- trunk novel? Uh, books that will never see the light of day. Oh, <laughs> they, they remain in, in the, the trunk. trunk. Yes. <laughs> I was just, they were just practice books. And uh, they were adult horror novels. And uh, But I was also very interested in the business side. I knew that if there was something that I wanted to do, I could figure it out. And I really wanted to get published. So I had met someone who worked as a ghostwriter for R.L. Stein. We had become friends and she had said, you know, um, they're looking for some new authors for this new young adult historical horror project, and I'd be happy to refer you. And I was like, oh, okay, I can do that. <laughs> I pitched some ideas, and a book packager said, well, try this one. It was uh, Zombies During the Revolutionary War. I said, okay. 
And so I was working full time and I would get up at four o'clock in the morning and write before work. And then I would go to lunch and I would eat with one hand and write with the other. And, and then I would go home and then I would write until it was time to go to bed and do it all over again. And I wrote the entire book in three months. I had it all ready to go, packaged up in the manuscript box, ready to mail it. And, and I thought, I'm just going to call the publisher and say, it's on its way, you know? They said, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, we've already bought another Revolutionary War zombie novel. And I'm like, what, because there's so many of them on the shelves? And really what had happened was they had terminated the line but hadn't told anybody yet. So I had a book that was written in somebody else's world that I had never written any other young adult and I didn't know what to do with it. So I did what I tell everybody else not to do when I talk to new writers is I left it on my hard drive and didn't do anything with it for a, a, a really long time. And went on to, I wrote a, an adult techno thriller, but ultimately it was an opportunity that what I discovered in that process was that my voice as a writer and the kinds of stories that I like to tell are very well suited for young adult. Because it's not just, I have a very kind of sparse, direct storytelling style. And I also still remember very passionately the intense pain of teenage <laughs> years. So those are the kinds of stories that I like to tell. And so it was a lot of fun just to kind of have this chance opportunity actually uncover the thing that was truly what I love to write. Yeah, I mean, teen, teendom, if that's a word, I don't know if it is. <laughs> it is now. It is now. Um, like John Hughes movies or whatever. I mean, they're, they're wonderful in the sense that the that age range, it's just so epically dramatic at times. It's naturally just heightened emotion, heightened consequences, even if it's just perceived, not in real world consequences, but it's just a wonderful place to explore a story, I think. Well, everything is just so incredibly intense and important. And to drop yourself into the mindset of someone who finds the world so vivid is really a lot of fun. So you went, while you were still an author, you got involved in editing. Is that correct? Yeah. I was looking at doing more freelance work and... Um, I started just as a freelance editor with the publisher that had published my first young adult novel. Then the senior editor left. I took over uh, in that position. And that was a great opportunity for me because the publisher was very open to, to new ideas. They had over 450 titles, over 200 authors, and they were one of the first uh, electronic publishers and also did trade paperbacks and, and all of that. And uh, there was great opportunity to really kind of expand that world. And so I went in and retooled the selection process and the publication process. And so we went from getting out maybe like a book, maybe two a month, to at one point we were up to eight books a month. Wow. It was really nice because to be able to look at a process and figure out, well, how can I make this better for, you know, the team of editors that we have and the authors and the publisher, and myself, <laughs> and make it so that this process isn't as painful for all the folks involved. And I really, really enjoyed that. And I did that for six years. And then I took a job at a place that I absolutely loved. Uh, I was worked in the marketing department at Tampa Theater, which is this beautiful, historic theater with 
inside looks like a uh, Italian garden at night and with stars up in the sky, balcony, just beautiful. It's awesome. It's one of the best places to watch a movie. It was just a place that I had always loved. And to get an opportunity to work in a place that had 10 total office employees, period, and uh, a nonprofit and a place that I was real passionate about, I took that as my day job. And I did that for about two and a half years. And you learned marketing in that aspect. Well, before that, I had actually already worked with the publisher to market their titles. So I'd already done, I developed their electronic newsletter. I did advertising and promotions for the publisher and the books. I went to conferences and represented the publisher. So I'd already done a lot of marketing, which is how I got the job. <laughs> At Tampa Theater, I got the opportunity to do a lot more print advertising and, and those kinds of things. And also a lot of just, I got to work with the volunteers there. And we were able to expand the volunteer program and make greater use of them. And I loved all of that process of kind of figuring out where there's a gap and then trying to figure out how you can kind of help people. You love fixing processes. I do. <laughs> that's, not what, that's not what you think of when you think of a writer or an artist, but it is. But that's like not a bad people. skill to have because... Everything we do is a process, right? Everything yes. we do. If you have an inherent skill to make that process faster, even if it's just for you, that's a benefit. But if you can help others, that's cool too. Now, I know that led towards the book design, which I want to get to. But in that time frame, you also did, which I think is one of the most interesting things I'd never heard about until you told me about it over lunch once, which is educational writing, doing fiction for... So there were a couple of things, right? You did one where you took all the SAT words and you incorporated it into a book. I did. I wrote a, an SAT vocabulary novel for Sparknotes, which is the educational publishing division of Barnes & Noble. And it was a 50,000-word science fiction novel, dystopian, back before dystopian was actually a hot thing, that also incorporated 1,000 SAT vocabulary words and definitions and little footnotes. It was an opportunity that I got as a result of meeting the Barnes & Noble community relations manager while I was promoting my other books. And we had worked together on a whole bunch of different things. And I did a lot of teacher events and things. And Sparknotes had this series. And she's the first one who showed me these books. And I was like, one day, Nan Barbara at Barnes & Noble in Carrollwood, I said, I said, this is an awesome tool. A novel that kids would actually want to read that they could then actually help their test scores this is awesome. One day I'm going to write one of these. And I was in the store and all of a sudden I hear over the intercom, Lynn Hansen to the community relations manager's office, Lynn Hansen to the community relations manager's office. She had emailed the editor of the series at, at Barnes and Noble and he had written her back and said, when can I call her? So I rushed home <laughs> and I said, you can call me now. <laughs> and he did. And then it took a while to work out the outline and the process, but it ended up that I wrote the book in five weeks after uh -huh. outline approval. The outline approval took two months. But part of that challenge was when to use all the words. Like at the end, you would be left with some grouping of words that you haven't used yet. So how did you approach that? Like you had some tough words and some easy words. How did you approach kind of figure out when to put those in? Well, the other big challenge with it was, was they had already published, they had done like a young adult romance. They had done a kind of an action adventure story. They had done, and they had all these different genres. And so they wanted a dystopian science fiction novel with a male protagonist, which I had never written. And I immediately said, of course I can write that without, without even taking a breath. 
And then I was like, so, okay, so you've had four other of these novels published, so word list, that kind of thing. No, no. So how did the other people do it? They just turned them in. <laughs> so they hadn't developed a process at all. They right? hadn't developed a process at all. Oh my gosh, it's another process I thing. Know, I know. You know, it's funny because I'm, I'm like that too, by the way. I mean, I'm, I, you and I are a lot more like than, than I realized <laughs> because I always look at something going, this isn't the first time this is being done. I mean, it's got to be defined of how to do it well. Not necessarily. Four published novels and nobody had even a word list. And so I had to go through, and during all of this really aggressive time frame, I had to gather the word list, figure out what were frequently occurring SAT vocabulary words and the definitions. And then I wrote the book, turning on my straight A student adult vocabulary. So uh, my college level vocabulary. So I, I turned on that vocabulary, wrote the story, and then I developed this process for identifying the words that were naturally occurring SAT vocabulary words. And that got me to about 80%. And then I had to go through and I had to find other opportunities to build that vocabulary. But then I had to go through and figure out well, the first time you use a frequently used SAT vocabulary word, you don't get to use it again. So you ended up with a lot of vocabulary words at the front, and then you had to get more in the back. And so I would have to go and say, oh, that's an easy word that I can fit in later. And then I'd have to come up with a synonym for that word, all in five weeks. <laughs> now, you're kind of doing something similar now, though, right? Because you're writing a bunch of short stories. I also I wrote FCAT test prep materials where I would write short fiction, nonfiction, and then test prep questions that corresponded to the Florida State Standards testing. And I've worked with uh, several different educational publishers, including like Pearson and some of these wonderful, great behemoth publishers <laughs> that gave me the opportunity to, again, write fun stuff that kids would actually want to read, then be able to practice for their tests. I guess probably the most rewarding experience with doing this textbook work was to, one, I went into a school to do a school visit and talk to kids about writing. They were using my textbook, you know, the textbook that I had stories in. And the teacher said, please turn to Paige. That's pretty cool. And they're like, that's her? Like, that is so cool. You know, that's a really rare thing to walk into a room and have everyone have your book. Right at their desk. <laughs> That's it pretty was awesome. So cool. Mandatory reading. It was me and I like a gazillion other people. Does it matter? But... Does it matter? And then I got a fan letter based on a 500 word short story that I wrote for the textbook that was, you know, reading, reading preparation for, for FCAT. It was just this cute little teen romance about this girl who's flirting with this guy who works in a bait shop and tries to pretend that she really likes to fish for blue crabs so that she can impress him and he'll notice her. And she ends up taking advice from this other boy who actually has told her the wrong thing because he really likes her. <laughs> and it was really cute. And it was, you know, kind of rural Florida. And I got a fan letter from a teacher who said, my students read your story in the textbook and they're trying to figure out which of your novels it came from. And I said, well, it, it's not, because they want to read the rest of it. And I said, well, it's, it's not a novel. I mean, it's just a short story. They're like, but they want to read the rest of it. They said, you even got like the bait right for what you're, because it was a rural school and she was like, you know, you've got the bait right for what they use to blue crab because you have to use the chicken necks. You can't use, you know, worms or something. That would be stupid. And then, 
so I got this to have this wonderful uh, correspondence with these kids who had read an educational test prep piece that I had done in a textbook. That's pretty so. awesome. I don't know. That's like just such a rare thing to be able to have that sort of experience. It is. I have never thought about the fact that I'm a process geek. Because like when I was doing marketing with the uh, small press publisher, I wrote a book called Good, Fast, and Cheap, Small Quantity Promotional Items for the Craft Challenged Promoter on a Budget. Because I was doing all of these marketing things for my first book, and I was sharing it with other people, and so I did this little workbook for people. The same thing with the SAT vocabulary novels. Once I had come up with a process, I then did a workshop for teachers where I could teach them how to turn anything into a vocabulary novel. Hmm. And with the educational writing materials... Again, the state standards are very detailed in terms of, and now, of course, they're common core, but when I was working with it, it was state standards and they're very detailed, you know, 3.1.6, and you had to really correspond with all of these different things. And I worked with a publisher and they were like, uh, no, here's, here's your binder. I'm like, binder? And I'm like, you don't have anything electronically? And so I had to develop a process so I could work faster. And it is, I'm a process geek. Yeah, yeah. We've delved deep into your psyche here today. <laughs> Going back to Tampa Theater, you worked there, you did marketing, you did some design, and that kind of led, I guess, to, to making book cover designs. And how did you get started in that? Well, um, it was uh, an, another one of those opportunities where it was like, this needs to get done. I think I can figure out how to do that. The opportunity was my husband, Jeff Strand's book, Wolf Hunt. He decided to put it out himself after the publisher started having problems. I was like, you know, I, th I think I could do a cover. And so I did this first cover. And I really enjoyed the process. And he had a another book that had only, only come out as a, a limited edition. It was uh, The Sinister Mr. Corpse. And I'm like, you know, I think I could take, we have this friend. I think I could take a picture of him and turn him into a zombie. And we could use that for the Sinister Mr. Corpse, which is this, the first zombie to be brought back on reality television. Of course, um, of course. And uh, so <laughs> I was like, oh, this is great fun. Once I started doing them, then other people started coming to me and saying, well, who, who does your covers? And so I got additional work that way. And so I was doing freelance, freelance cover design just because people needed it. But it was, for me, an opportunity to tell a story in a different way. It's just a visual storytelling. And to me, I think one of the mistakes that people really make when they're working with creating a, a book cover is that they think that it has to be beautiful art and it has to be effective marketing. And those things, if you're lucky, they're the same things. But most of the time... They're not. There are just absolutely beautiful print covers that are awful ebook covers. Because uh, you're working with a very limited space on, on ebook when you're browsing through Amazon or what have you, right? I mean, what, what's the pixel size of that book that I'm looking at, a thumbnail? When you are looking at a thumbnail, I mean, you're looking at a, a one inch rectangle. And Amazon does all of the crunching, so you don't need to know what the what the pixel size is. You upload your standardized version, and they crunch it for all the different ways that it's visible. Right. Um, but the best thing is, people, you know, customers who bought this book also bought, and you better have something that is identifiable as a book that people who like other books of that genre will also like your book. 
I like to create things that are very visual in a small space. When you look at them up close, when they actually go into it, then they see additional details that make them want to know more about the book. So when you've done that, you've already got them in the process of starting to engage with the story because you go from having a tiny little thumbnail where you're like, oh, look, that's with Wolf Hunt. One of the things I liked is like, oh, that is a you could tell that it's got that it's a werewolf novel and because it had a uh, fur and bars and a padlock. And when you zoomed in and there was a blood smear on the padlock and then you realize that the fur was too big for like what should really be behind that size bars and you're like whoa and at least that's what you hope (laughs) and so they start asking questions about about the story already just from going from a thumbnail to clicking and then and then all the other marketing stuff kicks in i gotta assume one of the challenges then is to create something similar but unique. So if I'm in a a young adult horror genre and I'm going to be in that people who like this also like this, you want to fit in the party, but you want to stand out at the party at the same time too, right? Absolutely. I mean, you have to be, like when I work with a new client, I ask them to show me book covers that they like and fill in the blank. Fans of blank will also love my book. When you see that, when you say, this is my target audience, then you kind of know how to work within that genre so that so that there is that familiarity. Oh, look, that is a mystery novel. That is that kind of book. And then when you look at it, you also want to know that not only is it that kind of book, but a- another problem that I think that people have all the time is they forget to make the title very clear and the author's name very clear. Because if you do your job as an author... And as a marketer, people are going to want more Jeff Strand books. And so you better be able to tell that it's a Jeff Strand book and be able to make it very clear in a really small format. And you don't have to do that when you've got a print book that you're going to have on a bookstore shelf. Right, because that's obviously a 5 by 8 6 by 9 whatever the standards are, 55 by 85 so what challenges do you face when you're working with an author? How do you combine like your ideas with their ideas? I mean, how, how does that relationship work when you're in some of the challenges you face when you're working with an author's expectations versus your knowledge and understanding? When I work with um, standalone freelance clients, so for example, an author who's, this is going to be their first book, they're going to self-publish and bring it out. Well, I actually have to go through a lot of educational process with that mm-hmm. to show them, you know, to help pull out the things that they really need to be aware of. And I, and I, I end up doing a lot of just ad hoc publishing consulting. This is why you need this, and this is why you need that. And one of my uh, first standalone freelance clients, his request was he wanted a, uh, it was a police procedural, and he wanted a picture of a Tampa office building with a big blue gecko climbing, climbing up the side of the building. He wanted the Tampa Police Department and this big blue gecko and a police shield. I was like, you know, the client is always right at that point, right? I was like, let me work with this. And and then I I finally just said, you know, it's going to look like a really bad, giant monster movie. Tell me more about your book. And come to find out, he had this, his story had this phenomenal, kick-ass female detective, strong, was actually, you know, the lead character in multiple books in this series. It's like, 
so why is it that we're not putting her on the cover? He's like, oh yeah, that's a lot better than a blue gecko. (laughs) (laughs) The answer to that is always yes. If you ever want a blue gecko on your book cover, think again. Unless it's a book about blue geckos. So anyway, so it's a give and take though, right? I mean, your job is to kind of educate them on what they should do. I'm assuming at the end, though, they would have final say in that process. Absolutely. My favorite long-term freelance relationship has been with Christopher Golden, who is a New York Times bestselling author. He is a gazillion books in many different genres. He and I ended up working together to resurrect his backlist over 30 titles. And we've been doing that for the last year and a half. We've got 28 books out now, and we've got six more to go before his backlist is cleared out. One of the reasons that Chris went to the self-publishing route to bring these books back was that he had very strong opinions about what he wanted, and he wanted to make sure that the people who picked up his traditionally published books felt that the quality of these resurrected books, these books that had gone out of print, or in some cases they were books that were the fourth book in a series where the publisher didn't pick up the fourth book, things like that. He wanted to make sure that that quality was there. And so when we first started working together, the first book cover took like two months before we got to start getting that kind of rapport, figuring out what it was that was important for him to know, what was important for me to know, and to bring that together. And so working with a client long-term like that, you get a, a level of trust and a level of respect because you know the things that are important to that person and they know the important things that are important to you and, and you listen to each other based on each other's strengths. And I'm assuming the process then becomes quicker just out of comfort. You guys end up speaking to probably a little more of a shorthand, so to speak. Definitely. The thing that I dislike the most about being a freelance graphic designer is the first time I show a client a mock-up, a draft of what I've created based on their vision. Because there's that whole balance of how polished does it have to be and how rough can it be? Because if I send it rough, then are they going to think that that I, you know, that I'm not a good designer and that whole, like, you know, having to explain that this is a rough draft to know that for you to say, no, I don't want the blue gecko on my cover or no, I don't this because if I spend a lot of time doing a a rough draft and then you say, no, I just really don't like this, then you've wasted a lot of time. And that process of putting yourself out there the first time is just like submitting a book for the first time. And the nice thing about a long-term client is, Chris knows that if I give him a rough draft, that it's a rough draft and I'll make it the way it needs to be at the end. And I don't have to convince him of that. I don't have to do disclaimers. Oh, the edges will be smoother in the final version. I don't have to do any of that. It's like, here, what do you think of this? And so I really enjoy that kind of rapport. Yesterday, a client came back for his fourth book. And uh, today, a client came back and said, I'm doing my fifth book. And these were both totally unpublished authors the first time. That's awesome. And so it's really nice to, to be able, like, I already kind of have the feel for those folks. Right. And and know that they're good folks to work with, too. You recently got involved in film, and you wrote a short. Tell me a little bit about that. Uh, I'd never written a screenplay before. And uh, I woke up one morning and in this kind of gap between being awake and being asleep And all of a sudden, I had this idea where for a short film that 
the story idea came to me in pictures. Like I saw shots, like I could have done storyboards. It, it was a visual idea that was also very dialogue centered. And I got up and I, I wrote the entire first draft in two hours. And the story is about a guy who breaks up with his girlfriend in the middle of the zombie apocalypse because she's put on a couple of extra pounds and has had a little bit too much trouble escaping from the zombies. And it's called He's Not Looking So Great. (laughs) That's awesome. I really want to see that. So that was recently shot, right, in New Orleans? It it was. um, It was filmed in July in New Orleans. I actually, last week, got to see the first rough cut before sound effects and all of that. And there could not be anything cooler to see and hear your words coming out of strangers' mouths and people laughing. I wasn't able to go to the filming, but the month before the filming, I was in New Orleans and the director actually arranged to bring in the four main actors to do a table read. And it was the first time they had seen the actual script to see them, you know, start to build those relationships and they get through and they're reading the story, you know, to have, you know, an actress say, "Ah, I'm sorry, let me just try that again. I I couldn't help but crack up. It's like, I love you, (laughs) you know? And and they would say things like, so what was the writer thinking? I'm like, nobody ever asks a screenplay writer what they think. And so I know I've been incredibly spoiled because I've been involved in the process and and I've gotten to meet meet the actors and and see you know location scouts and, and you know as they were working on everything and special effects as they were working on everything and uh, I feel incredibly spoiled. It's actually going to be out in October. Then start making the film festival rounds in the spring. That's really cool. It's going to be very exciting. If it's showing locally, you're going to have to let me know. So Lynn, if people are interested in looking at your work or maybe even commissioning a book cover and working with you. Uh, where would they go to do that? That would be lynnhansendesign.com. It has my portfolio actually sorted by genre, and I have a blog where I talk about, I do photo manipulation covers, so I take different images and create something that didn't exist in the real world. And I actually, on my blog, show how different components contributed to create a final image that looks nothing like the components, but still has them in it. Uh, my blog's also off of lynnhansendesign.com, and it has all, all, of, all of the information about uh, how I work with folks and, and what I do. And you can see um, each of the covers actually also has descriptions of kind of where I was going with each and what I was trying to achieve. Very cool. Well, thank you very much for being on my podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. All right. And um, you can buy me lunch next time. (laughs) It's a deal. (laughs) Bye.